0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, A hand clapper? A high-fiver? I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem C- Serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ShumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW Group, whiteware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. This is
1: an unspoiled network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering One Piece, episodes 254, 255, and 256. In these episodes we find out there is a second sea train what yeah it's called rocket man which um i really feel like the translators for the dub should have changed that because i just found it so very funny over and over again welcome to spoil me Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to the One Piece crew for commissioning this episode. So these three were pretty wild. Uh, I am very into this weird Aqua Laguna thing. I just wanted to state for the record that the idea of there just being a fucking giant tidal wave that like comes according to a schedule every year is kind of rad. And it really did add a a sort of tension to things that, like, I don't know if it's because I'm particularly sensitive to the concept of drowning and that being something that I specifically respond to, but there have been always in every episode, or not episode, I'm sorry, every arc, there is, like, some disaster sort of looming that, adds a time crunch to whatever our heroes are up to and, you know, makes it so that like, if we don't get such and such done by this point, everything is lost or so-and-so will die or whatever. And I find it really interesting to sort of look at what succeeds in creating that tension for me personally, and what kind of just, I can acknowledge the tension is there and that they've made an effort to put it there, but it doesn't actually cause me any sense of anxiety. And Aqua Laguna caused me legit anxiety. I think maybe part of it was because, like, there have been times where, for example, going to Skypea, you know, we have this attack that's going to be coming from Enaru. And everybody is, uh, like, evacuating the islands that he's going to attack. And there's a, uh, you know, a time limit, clearly, to when he's going to be able to do that. And everybody needs to be gone. And I think that kind of what made this work for me, and this is actually, so (laughs) Seraphim in the chat and Gus last episode were... Arguing about, they were arguing with me. I was also arguing, just to be clear, about the fact that uh, both Nami and Chopper seem to be like, it's fine that Robin doesn't seem to care about the rest of the world as long as she is like on our side. And I was sort of like, that's fucked up, guys. Like, really, you don't think that's problematic? However, I'm doing the same thing, just so you know, because what I'm about to say proves. I think it's fucked up for them, but then I'm fucking doing it. So I guess, fuck me. Um, but in those in the scenario in Skypea, everybody has to evacuate while our friends are in this sort of area that, yes, it's going to be targeted, but they're also trying to get word back to save all of these other people. And... The time crunch really feels a lot more crucial for all of those people than it feels for our friends because they're in the midst of a thing where it feels like there are some uh, safety nets in place for them. And so what it comes down to was I didn't worry about our people. The Straw Hats, I felt like, already knew the score and were aware of what he could do and what the threat was whereas the people on the island are the and the, and they're evacuating are the ones that are under the most threat and honestly they were kind of like complicit in everything and i had a hard time really caring like not even caring but just like the tension wasn't exactly there for me because i'm not going to be devastated by something happening to them it's going to be like messed up yes but it's not going to have the same effect. And here it's sort of the opposite situation where everybody who already lives there is aware of the thing and they're on, un- they have this routine and they know how to handle it and when to get lost and where to go to high ground and all of that. And it's our people who for the most part, either don't know that this is happening or they get, they find out it's happening and seems to sort of underestimate the devastation that it can cause or as in the case with Luffy and Zoro are put in a position where whether they know or not, they can't get away. And so it puts our little group in this, in a totally different position of being without information, without power in the situation because they are sort of, I think, not taking it as seriously as they should maybe. And as we find out, even the people who live here who know Aqua Laguna is coming and do take it seriously are unprepared for the actual wave they get. Because it's a lot bigger and more uh, more devastating than, they, than any they have ever seen before is the vibe I'm getting. So I think that's part of why this was like particularly tense for me is that I have a, I really get a sense of security from having information and being able to sort of plan and use that information to protect myself. And when our friends are not granted that information or they don't seem to be taking it seriously or are put in a position where, yeah, I have the info, but I fucking can't use it and do anything about it. That feels a lot more unsafe to me. And then all of that is exacerbated by where Luffy and Zoro are stuck. It's like way out in the open in this area where it's super hard for anybody to actually get to them because of the way the city is structured. So there's the the whole concept of agoraphobia a lot of people think of it as just a fear of like the outdoors or being out in open spaces but if you look into it a little bit more it's actually uh more centered around fear of being somewhere where help can't get to you and this is part of the reason why some of us are just like yeah i mean i don't i don't want to live too far away from friends or family out in the you know, I love nature, but I want to be somewhere that the ambulance can get to me in 10 minutes. Thank you very much. I don't want to have to sit there wondering if anybody is going to get this call. So the the fact that these two gents are out there just fucking waving in the wind, waiting to be hit with a fucking tidal wave. And one of them for the beginning of this episode doesn't even nobody even knows he's there. You know, Luffy, at least we start this trio of episodes with Nami knowing where he is and trying to get to him. And, like, she eventually reaches a spot where she can't get any closer. But at least she has found him and he has the sense of security of, like, my friend is here. My friend cares. Poor Zoro is up here upside down. And it takes so long. For Chopper to realize and put two and two together about what he's seeing. Because Chopper thinks that he is a sea anemone, which truly Chopper, I don't really know what to say to you about that, except why, why, why did he does not look like a sea anemone at all? The, the animation is like kind of trying to give me the suggestion of why Chopper is like, what what he's seeing and i was just like, i get what you're attempting here but no i i don't buy it but nevertheless i have to say guys zoro has on like if we're scoring out of a hundred in terms of like favorite points for which characters are running at the top of my list right now zoro has lost at least 10 to 20 points, this trio of episodes, because he harms my chopper. And I'm sorry, Zoro, but he saved your life. And you kind of uh, owe him like a lot. And you start doing the Homer strangling Bart thing to my little dude who risked it all to get your dumb ass out of this fucking chimney. And you're going to play him like that? Is that what you're going to do? Oh really? Okay. Well, if you want to be like that, I will remember. That's all I'm going to say. I'm I'm going to remember it because I am not impressed. And Chopper is the most precious baby. You don't do that to the cinnamon roll, sir. You don't do it. And I don't care how hot you are. I am not going to tolerate it. So just, uh, be forewarned that I have eyes on you now, and I am going to be judging you much more harshly for a while because you're bitch eating crackers for me at the moment. And I'm just not going to like anything you do. So you have to really get me back on your side. Okay. Zoro? just want to make that very clear. um, Let's see. Seraphim says, so a bit of subtle world building. This island has a yearly massive flood. The nearby Long Ring Island has a yearly event where the water level drops dramatically. Now we know where the water goes. Oh, that's interesting. Is the Long Ring Island. Did we heard about the thing where the water level? Oh, because some of the islands so you can cross. Right. I forgot all about that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I co- That Long Island. Oh my God. I just realized Long Island. Jesus. I didn't even, ugh, Ugh, I hate myself. But like, yeah, I would never have remembered that. So yeah, that's fun. Thank you, Seraphim. Um, Trish said, it might partially be like, dude, destroying cities with lightning, huge scale, but not something you can really put your shoes in. Giant tidal flood hitting a city, actual thing with real consequences you might worry about already. That's a good point, Trish, is that this just feels a little bit more grounded in reality. And, um, I don't know how many people remember this, but I feel like it was maybe 15 years ago now there was a tidal wave that hit, was it India? I feel like it wasn't. I feel like it was an island. Was it Japan? And oh my God, y'all, I like, there was so much footage of the kinds of destruction that the, The sort of thing I'm used to seeing is hurricane damage because, you know, in the United States, that's the thing that we really have to worry about if you especially live in certain areas. And the tidal wave, it's just an entirely different thing. And I remember being completely overwhelmed at some of the footage I saw and just being like, what do you even do? Like there's literally no escaping a thing like that. A storm, if you find some place low and covered and hide, you're going to be okay, probably. And as long as you manage to, like, keep out from a, a sort of flood area. But when it's a tsunami, you're not finding a place outside the flood area. Like, good luck. And it, there was just something really terrifying about seeing this thing that was so alien to me, you know? um. Trish says, yes, yes. Let Zoro fall down the ranks. (laughs) Mwahaha. Sarah and Natasha will remember that in asterisks. I fucking will too. Uh, Trish says, Zoro is a meanie. Nothing out of character about that harumph. (laughs) I enjoy the harumph. Gus says, I don't know. Like, I feel like the most he would do to Chopper is get angry and yell a bit. Different story if it's with Sanji. Um, Oh, you mean like in terms of the reaction that Zoro is going to have? Do you mean like uh that this felt out of character, Gus what the way that Zoro's acting here, but uh, either way, yeah, I just I don't like seeing anybody mistreat Chopper ever, as you guys know, and it's always accentuated by the fact that I know anything that Zoro does, Chopper's going to respond with that's so cool. Oh my God, you're so strong. And I'm just like, how can you ever mistreat a guy who's always going to be impressed with everything that you ever did? Like, it's just, it's like slapping a baby, you know, what are you doing? Um, so anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, I've kind of gotten ahead of myself by talking about a lot of what's happened already here, but most of the first episode is just about our friends attempting to get at the people who are stuck out there, Zoro and Luffy and all of the townsfolk who are on the higher ground watching helplessly and just kind of being like, dude, are you serious? What are you doing? And there was, I think an added aspect to me of tension because they are, they actually, all of this, there is an audience to see it. It's not happening in a kind of vacuum. It's like, if these dudes do drown, which I know they won't, but let's say there's a sincere danger. Then you've just got a bunch of poor townspeople who had to look on as these folks died in front of them. Which also just adds a sort of like sadness to the whole scenario, you know? Um, So <laughs> fucking Zorro too. Chopper is doing his best, but this dude is stuck, stuck. Um, So he winds up giving him the sword because it turns out Zoro can sense that he has it. He feels the curse, which is wild. And I feel like we have been told this before, but I, I, I forget about it as a rule, you know. So the wave is really coming for them. And I should mention, too, with Luffy, him being stuck, I thought <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, it's not, but it it is a little bit. Namiko's rushing to help Luffy. And all that she really does to get him out is psych him up. It's not even like she physically does anything to assist his escape, really. It's mostly that she tells him what's going on with Robin and what Robin is risking and how she actually cares and was lying about like the overall scenario to distance herself from them. And that makes Luffy enraged in that sort of like protective way that he gets and this causes him to become strong enough to literally push the buildings apart destroy the buildings to get himself out which i maintain that his being a rubber man this shouldn't even have happened him getting stuck this way he can flatten himself out so much i don't understand how this like Happened, but regardless there is something about the fact that nami risks everything to go out there and doesn't actually really help him escape and again she does help it's just in such an indirect way that it feels a little bit weird um and so he pushes these buildings down which i do enjoy the townsfolk watching him literally destroying part of their city and just being like what the fuck, man? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not, I- I'm not going to fault you for that. It is kind of like, Jesus, really? Um So this, then we go to Zorro and he similarly is destroying buildings. He only really destroys this like uh one section. Like, I think it goes all the way down to the base of the building. He, I, I thought he could just destroy the chimney and it looks like the cut he makes goes down further than that. But either way, both him and Luffy have really just decided, fuck this city. And it's fine. Um, so, from saying he's not like Mr. Fantastic where he can just move his body however he wants. He needs force and momentum. But can't he just stretch his arm out? Like, I feel like we've seen him do that. And he could just stretch out and like pull himself. But it doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, So they get out, but they wind up like, and then there's this moment where you really think they're safe. They get up on this uh, bridge and they're all breathing with relief and Chopper high fives Nami. And there's just a sense of we did it, gang. And even the townspeople who are looking on are like, oh, yeah, they're definitely safe there because that bridge is super high up and there's no way this wave is going to be a danger to them there. And guess what? They are very, very wrong because this wave is fucking enormous. So it covers them, which I was like, wait, really? They're They're getting hit by the wave. So hold on. They escaped, but they didn't. And then what we get is Polly rescuing them. And he's got these like ropes. And I don't know exactly how this is supposed to have worked. I think maybe the suggestion is that he lassoed them. Is that what it is? Because we don't actually see him getting the ropes around our guys. We just see the transition from the townspeople saying, oh, my God, did all of them drown? And then we immediately go over to Polly, who is holding these ropes that are ripping his hands up, by the way. And this is one of those things that even in animation, it's just a suggestion. It's like when Usopp is yelling Uh, imagine a bunch of splinters under your fingernails. Like it's just the idea that makes me so, Oh God. Oh, the rope burns on your hands. Truly one of the most painful fucking things. And uh, that was, that's a part in Jaws that I always have to look away when they have this moment where the ropes get pulled through. I think it's Quince or Brody's hands and, Every time I've watched that movie, I have watched this shark bite people in half, legs falling down onto the sea floor, heads floating around, and I'm fine with all of it. Somebody gets rope burns on their hands, and I have to look away from the screen. Doesn't make any fucking sense. So anyway, this moment with Polly, I was just like, oh, God, dude, really? And I sort of wondered if the rest of the townsfolk were going to try and like help him, like anchor him in place, because he's getting sort of pulled and no he manages to yank them out but the wave is still coming like they're at higher ground now and it's still not high enough and Polly is watching and is just like fucking Christ guys get up we have got to get out of here we're still not safe so they wind up running and I really do enjoy Chopper is wrapped around Zoro's head like straight up around his face and I found that just so funny <laughs> So they managed to get to the high enough ground just barely. And pretty much like I I have to imagine the, the rest of the town just got where they needed to go. But it felt like everybody was so taken aback by how high the wave went that there may have been some people lower down who assumed they were safe high enough, you know, and uh it just sounds like it was probably a pretty bad day for those people. So this is when both Nami and Luffy are like, all right, so we have got to find a way to catch up to the sea train and save Robin. And for his part, Polly basically, <laughs> in summary, it's just like one, LOL. Two, are you dumb? Three, no. All of this boiling down to y'all nearly died. You saw what Aqua Laguna is. And you want to take a boat out into that? Does that sound like a thing that you will survive? No. Maybe wait until tomorrow. And then we can go after her and it will do some good. But if we try and go out there now, you will definitely die. And then we find out this like information about... What is the name of it? Something Lobby? It's such a weird name, you guys. I, is, does it mean something? Like, I'm wondering if it's meant to be an anagram or like a spoof of an island that's real or what but it is such a weird name for a place that is supposed to be like kind of threatening that i keep getting hung up on it because it just doesn't really roll off the tongue and it's not memorable particularly um so anyway what we get from nami is a bunch of information about the Gates of Justice. And what it turns out this is, is the, uh, Ennis Lobby, says Gus. Okay. Yeah, Ennis like, is that, does that mean something? It just feels not, you get what I mean? I don't know. But anyway, um, the thing that Nami says is essentially there's like there's a courtroom there, but it is a joke. And if you go there, you are already considered guilty. And there's no there's no point getting your hopes up about the fact that you're going to have your day in court because it's just a fucking like, you know one of those performances that winds up being meaningless and you are guilty and you will go to the high security prison. And I'm very curious about how Nami knows all of this. It might've been mentioned and I just forgot about it, but essentially this is like the, uh, it's right in the center of Marine headquarters. So It is really impossible to get out and there's that. And then there's Impel Down, which again, not a good name, a deep sea prison where torture rooms and gallows stand side by side and it holds vicious prisoners who once ran amok all over the world. In the dub, I think it's more like something like even the most vicious prisoners just basically have to cool their heels and wait to die. Um, And what her whole point here is if we don't get to Robin now, we're not going to be able to save her because she's going to be behind walls that there's no way we're going to breach. So I appreciate Polly that you're saying we need to wait until tomorrow for our own safety, but in terms of, of, the reality of the situation if we want to make any difference whatsoever we cannot wait there's no if we decide well, wait that's us pretty much saying well fuck robin then and um again i'm like yeah but maybe fuck robin then i just don't care enough about robin to support them risking it for her. I, I, that's what it comes down to for me right now. And this is sort of the trouble with having arcs where you bring, where it like there always has to be somebody who's like at, at risk in a very personal way that everybody is willing to like, you know, put it on the line is it's not always going to work that you give a shit it's just that's the that's the danger of it and for some people one that doesn't work for them works very well for others you know like um you guys know the oh my god what is what is the name of the area where alabasta that's the one alabasta by the end of it i really just wasn't invested very much anymore like the princess felt stupid like actually like she was not very smart and the people were being played so easily and there was just a lot for me of just like oh god whatever and i respected everybody wanting to help but when it came time to like have the big goodbye where it's a possibility she may join their crew And it's her emotionally calling to them over the loudspeaker. I just don't like her. So that had no effect on me because I didn't want her to join the crew because she sucks and brings almost nothing to the table at all. And with Robin, she has just been quite a nothing to me. She has her interest in history and like archaeology And that is really the only thing I know about her as a person, other than that she's like very chill in a sort of general sense, which I can't even quite trust because there's a part of me that feels like, yeah, she's been sort of playing them the whole time. So I don't even know that I believe her personality that I have seen is her real personality, you know, like you're going to act chill and sort of go along to get along if you are using a bunch of people as a cover. So that combined with the fact that she is just like, screw the whole rest of the world. And yes, I'm going to continue to pursue this like historical information without acknowledging the risk of doing so and what I might bring down on myself and other people via whatever facts I uncover. I just don't really care about her anymore. She's kind of, you know, the fact that she's like set this whole thing up to sacrifice herself so that they don't get in trouble. It feels less like a noble thing to me and more like somebody who has just been on the run forever getting tired and finally agreeing like, all right, you know what? Forget it. These guys had my back. So if you let them go and I'll come with you quietly. It doesn't feel quite as much of a sacrifice as an inevitability that they were going to catch up with her one day. And the fact that she has been so willing to throw people under the bus for her whole life, for the sake of this weird dream of finding out about the history of this thing is just truly weird. It's like antisocial and selfish So even if it's not like, even if there wasn't this massive weapon that her searching for information might lead to figuring out how to make it and somebody taking advantage of that, she has genuinely been a bad person, you know, like she really has. So maybe this is what she deserves. I'm just saying there are consequences to things sometimes, and if you're going to betray one group of people after another because your sights are set so hard on whatever your goal is that you are willing to sacrifice other people coming to a point where you're willing to just sacrifice yourself to save this group it feels like you're putting down a single installment of a payment on a debt that is way bigger and you're not wiping it out in any sense to me at all you're starting to work toward breaking even you know maybe so all that said I am into the plot in so much as the pressure to get to her and the fact that it's sort of like a sea chase and that we have this like weird train that that we end up on later all of that and the fact that Sanji and Usopp are on the uh, regular sea train I am not uninterested in the plot because those are factors that are still really fun and can be utilized in some good ways. But I just have to be honest about the fact that the overarching goal of saving Robin, I don't care about. And that's not to say if they save her, I'm going to be mad because I assume they will save her. And you know I'm like I said that's fine but it's a very different thing from say Usa being a separate like player and not part of the straw hats anymore which I feel really invested in and it breaks my fucking heart when later Luffy says where are Sanji and Usa I mean where's Sanji you guys you could have stabbed me in the heart that was so Awful. I hated that. It like really. There was something about it that just I felt like that was really mean. You know, you didn't have to do that, guys. But no, there you go. Just fucking being mean. That I care heaps and bunches about. And especially like Sanji running into Usopp and being like, Oh, I'm sorry, um, do we know each other? I was like, Wow, Sanji, that is uh I'm not mad at him. It was just pretty brutal, you know. Because if it were somebody else, they'd probably be like, Sanji... If it were fucking Chopper, is really who I'm thinking of. Chopper would just be like, oh my god, Sanji, you're okay? Is everything all right? He would have just acted like probably everything that had happened never happened. Because Chopper wants it to have not happened. But Sanji is like, oh really? You don't want to be a part of the Straw Hats anymore? All right. Bet. I'm going to act like I don't even know who the fuck you are. And I was like, (laughs) that is pretty ice cold and uh i'm not again i'm not mad at it it's just brutal so i am interested to see how they pull this off but in my opinion robin can kick rocks so there i am um so anyway okay let's go to the actual c train here because we have this like sequence of sanji having to uh again fight his way through. And y'all, I was trying to figure out what these scenes reminded me of because he's walking through these train cars where it's full of dudes in you know suits and like black fedoras and uh they all because he's like I'm going to be real casual and confident as I walk through here. He Manages to sort of just like skate by most of them without them asking who he is and whether he should be here. And he finally reaches a guy who's like, "Dudes, what are you doing?" Obviously, he's not in uniform. He shouldn't be here. Do something. But I was watching it and and him like fighting these dudes, and I suddenly realized what I kept thinking of, and it was the fucking hot chocolate scene in polar express do you guys know what i'm talking about for the record polar express is a goddamn nightmare of a movie that is one of those i made owen watch it a few years ago because i just needed him to understand the extent to which that movie is a disaster and it's not just the uncanny valley thing although that is 100 a, a, a like valid part of it it's also how like weirdly depressing the universe winds up being and and there's like a sort of soviet feel to like where the elves work and it's all just very strange but there is this scene where um tom hanks who plays like practically every character he and a bunch of waiters come in and do this like dance and serve hot chocolate to all of the kids on the train. And the bit is supposed to be how they're dancing and doing all these wild tricks, but they don't ever spill any of the hot chocolate. And so they have like a lot of sort of leg flailing and they're all dressed in like, I think black and white, if I'm not mistaken, they, they're they all in a uniform that matches anyway. So I, I realized like that was the association I was making was I just kept seeing All of the fucking waiters on the Polar Express getting their asses kicked by Sanji. And I was like, honestly, that is an improvement on the original movie. So that's fine. Good. Go ahead and do that. Um, But yeah, he runs into Usopp and there's that whole like, oh, well, uh, do I know you, sir? And he keeps running up against these other guys who are acting like they're gonna be a big boss like i keep getting in other words fooled into thinking that whomever it is sanji has just run up against is gonna finally be a challenge right he just there's always another set of people or another individual and nobody is a fucking threat to this man he is unstoppable it's just It's nothing. He lays out that entire train car, guys, in one move, practically. But he comes across this set of uh, those, like, transponder snails. And he gets really excited and is just like, oh, good. There was nothing useful on any of the other train cars. But with this, I can finally contact Nami. And in the midst of all of this, um, we have Frankie, who... I had forgotten Sanji never saw. And when Frankie tells him who he is, Sanji immediately kicks him in the face. And I just really appreciated that. Because between this moment and the moment that happens a little bit earlier, where the Frankie pirates show up and beg Luffy to be taken along... I will be perfectly, I'll be perfectly franky with you, or or, I kind of forgot what they did. (laughs) I've lost track. A lot of, a lot has happened. Their position in things has sort of changed and they're not exactly allies yet, but they're like quite close and so it wasn't till like Nami was like, are you fucking serious? You stole all our money. You beat the shit out of our friend. And now you're asking us for help. And I was like, oh, right. Oh, Nami has a good point. Shit. I forgot about all that. <laughs> so when Sanji kicks him in the face, I was like, right. Yes. Sanji would hate this man still. I forgot. That's valid. Um, Let's see. Uh Trish says it feels like oh, talking about Ennis Lobby, I think. It feels like an example of someone trying to write a name that feels like it belongs to another culture, in this case English, but it's like uncannily wrong. Uh Seraphim says the only meaning to the word I can find anyone working out as possible is that it's ancient Greek for ship. Huh. I wonder if that's it. I mean that would make sense. Um But yeah, and like I said, there are a lot of places that truly exist in the world that have weird ass names that don't really make any sense or feels like i always use this as an example but there is a town here in texas that is not far from us it's like half an hour and the town's called flower mound i live at 100 apple tree lane flower mound texas who the fuck was like you know what instead of ending this in vil or ton or we're gonna end it in mound really that's what you came up with that's the best you could do it's just it's embarrassing like you know so all that to say while this name does suck there's almost something more realistic about the fact that it sucks so much. Um, So yeah, Sanji is prepared to continue beating the shit out of Frankie. And I love him saying, Oh, and you screwed our friend over and beat the hell out of him. How many pieces do you want to cut me into? And I love that Usopp has to sort of defend Frankie and by Defend him, I mean crawl like a like a worm because they're both him and Frankie are still like wrapped in a sack and tied with ropes. So I just love the way that both of them have to move around. It just cracks me up. Um and Frankie keeps being like, Oh, you you you're lucky I'm tied up and eventually Usopp is like, Oh my god, dude, that line is getting quite old. Like, stop it. But This is when Sanji has to tell, or uh, sorry, Usopp has to tell Sanji that the Mary has been destroyed and Frankie helped to save it for a little while at least. Um, And (laughs) then let's go to the actual train. So they're still arguing about how to pursue Robin, right? And all of a sudden, um, Kokoro is like, oh, well, as long as you don't really value your lives, then I do have a way that we could go and potentially catch up with her. Just to be clear, though, you don't care if you live or die. Am I right on that? Okay, then we're good and we can attempt this thing. So the sea train that she has is a prototype And it is called the Rocket Man and is painted on the front kind of like a shark a little bit. It's a weird look, but I'm into it. And when they get there, it turns out that Iceberg had figured they were going to want it. And so he is already like prepping the thing and has it loaded up with fuel and generally has made it so that it's ready to go. And um, he warns them all, by the way, like, I'm really hoping that this works out for you, but I need you to know that this train is, like, essentially speed cruise control, where... You do not get to put the brakes on. Doesn't have any. Doesn't work. You have to go whatever speed you are going to go. And that is how fast you're going to go. And that's the end of that. And I love fucking... (laughs) Luffy just shrugs and it's like, that's fine. Let it go as fast as it's going to... Luffy is truly so ADD. He does not think ahead at all. Not even a bit. Just good. It goes super fast. Well, we want to go super fast. So that sounds perfect to me. And there's no thought to like, well, if it's going super fast and you do catch up, how do you get off in time? Or if you do catch up, how do you stop yourself from just running the train that works completely off the rails or actually stopping at an Island or anything? Like he just doesn't think that way. It just doesn't work for him, you know? And I have accepted that even though I don't accept it at all. So this is when the Frankie pirates show up. Oh, and before this, I forgot. My my bad. Luffy is, like, not doing super well. Um, at one point, I think Chopper says, you may have lost too much blood. That might be what's going on with you. Because he almost, like, falls backward as he's climbing up the steps to get onto the train. And, oh, no, it's Zoro that suggests that. And I love, he's like, oh, man, I'm feeling kind of weak. Maybe uh, I need some meat. And then... All of a sudden, here comes Nami with the two dudes who work at the train station. And they are pulling this like rickshaw cart thing. And Luffy is like yelling at Nami about how she's late. And she was someone telling them they had no time to waste. And now she's the last one to arrive. And he's in the middle of yelling at her. And she unwraps the bundle. And it's all food. And immediately we go to him eating saying i'm really sorry that i yelled at you not me with his mouthful, and that was a joke that made me actually laugh out loud there's just something about the abrupt cut you know from him like yelling at her to his mouthful that i was like that's just gold i love that um so they they are about to get on the train this is when the frankie pirates turn up and of course Of course, Luffy is like, yeah, all right, get on board. It takes a minute for him to agree to it. And there's like a moment of, oh, is he going to say yes or no? And I was like, of course, he's going to say yes. But it turns out they don't actually have to get on the train. He says, we'll jump out to the sea using our king bowls at the same time you do. So all you need to do is let us hold on to the end of the train and... Zoro, when he's like, What are king bulls? They don't answer and they just turn around and take off. And we wind up finding out what they are. And what they are is a harpoon. It's not like that's not what the king bulls are, but that's what they use are these sort of harpoons that bust through the entire back of the train. And it fucking nearly, like, kills Zoro, who's just standing in the train car that they hit. And I was li- just, they act like it's kind of a joke. Like, they're like, hey, thanks for letting us catch a ride with you. But I was like, dudes, they were very generous in letting you do this at all. And the fact that you are doing this, unforgivable. Like, you've burnt out all of your chances. I cannot be on your side anymore what are you doing meanwhile as the train takes off and they start to really hit top speed all of a sudden it turns out that chimney and Gonbei, the uh, cat rabbit have stowed away And Kokoro is extremely agitated because she knows how fucking dangerous this is. And they were not supposed to come. And not only have they sewed away, they're on the outside of the train and like holding on to it. So when they begin to speed up, they're holding on by their fingernails, basically. And thankfully the fucking Frankie pirates are behind the train. So when both Luffy and chimney fall off, they, they wind up hitting the Frankie pirates and like they're safe for the moment. But genuinely, I hated this for poor Kokoro because she has been a very good sport. You know, she's helping where she can and she's admiring that they're willing to risk everything. And, but Then when she finds out that Chimney is here, she kind of loses it for a second. She's genuinely like, what the fuck, guys? And then we get this bit. And I am going to have to talk about this, even though there's really. There's no reason to talk about it because it is so dumb. The two dudes who work at the train station, we have a very drawn out bit. With the two of them fighting over a pair of binoculars, and then the two of them saying that they should go and tell Iceberg what's happening, and both of them not wanting to be the one to leave, and both of them wanting to have the binoculars, and eventually one of them, like, starting rock, paper, scissors, and this is the kind of thing where I'm just like, oh, God, this... I understand the need to sort of do the filler thing, but I feel like there were more interesting ways to play this. I don't know. But it's just, like I said, it goes on quite a bit. And because they mentioned Iceberg, we go to him next and he is sort of like thinking back on everything. And we see the scene where this and it's the a repeat of the um, scene where he is asking Kokoro whether or not. Cuddy is going to be okay. And she's like, he survived being hit by a C train. So I am sure he is fine. And we flash back to them actually thinking that, uh, Frankie was dead. That was the news because obviously nobody thought he was going to survive being hit by that fucking train. So when we jump ahead in time and we see the moment where, uh, Khalifa comes in and tells Iceberg, there is a man named Cuddy Flam here to see you. And that's the moment that they wound up putting two and two together, like years later. It turns out that was the first time Iceberg heard Cuddy Flam was even still alive. So it wasn't just that it was a surprise visit. It was a surprise alive. That was a big deal. And he turns him away initially, but then he decides to have the meeting with him where he hands over the blueprints and tells him to leave the island because that way it will be more safe if you're not right on the same property as me, because they're going to come after me. So the whole point is to put some distance between me, the obvious person to come to looking for these plans, and you, the person who actually has the plans that everybody thinks is dead. And fucking Frankie just refuses outright to leave the island. It is really so infuriating. The fact that he just, you know, especially considering that there's a kind of emotional moment where Iceberg is like, I'm really glad that you're still alive. And for him to just respond with like, oh, really, you're glad I'm still alive? Well, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want and I don't care what you're asking me and I don't care how important it is. He even suggests that maybe Iceberg should hold on to the plans so that when the government comes, he can just hand them over and not be at risk at all. And it's just a fundamental lack of understanding to me of what is important to Frankie or to Iceberg. Frankie is just like, why wouldn't you do the thing that's going to protect you? And Iceberg is like, because that's not the fucking point of this. I'm trying to save the legacy of the man who like mentored both of us. And Frankie's like, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it, it, that's why Frankie has all of those modifications. And he is a cyborg now. But we don't actually see what happened to him directly after getting hit by the train. We just kind of go from him getting hit. We don't even see him get hit, I don't think. We see him standing in front of the train yelling for them to give them back Tom. And then I think we cut. It's the end of the episode. And then when we come back several episodes later, this is the first we hear of it. Um. So I'm wondering if we're ever going to see, like, the direct aftermath from his perspective or not. And meanwhile, on the Rocket Man, the fucking... Rest of the shipwrights have joined them. One of them being that incredibly loud, extremely giant man with the uh, beard and the other guy with the strange pointy hair. And I do really enjoy at one point he pushes down the spike of his hair and it comes out through his hand. And I don't know how to interpret what happened there, but it was something. It sure was something. Um, Meanwhile, fucking Polly has to break it to them about all of their friends being in on it. And these two dudes are acting like they already like have a good idea who probably were the inside party. And then when Polly tells them who it was, they flip out and he's like, I thought you knew. And it turns out they thought it was some guys from the back streets and he names them Michael and Ho Child, something like that. But basically, Polly doesn't even know who those guys are. It's not even like, oh, you thought it was them. That doesn't make sense. It was it's just straight up who. Um, so the fact that these dudes have joined up with them, we pretty much got everybody here. And uh, Luffy makes a speech. That boils down to, all right, everybody, you know what we're up against and we might not have, we might've been at odds before, but we are all on the same side now and we have got to take these guys down and get back what they took. And, uh, you know, basically everybody has their own reasons for wanting to stop these people. So yeah, that. Is the end of the episode. Um and they are all preparing to suit up and work together. Comrades is the uh way the subtitle goes. So they I love Luffy just says something like Aqua Laguna won't beat us as long as we're determined enough. And this really reminded me of a um there was a recent episode of ABBA Elementary. If you're not watching Abbott Elementary, just fix that because it's so good. But there is a character in that who very determinedly tries to pretend that just being positive about something is enough to overcome anything. And there is eventually an episode where they have to face that positivity isn't going to replace science. You can't just believe enough to stop a thing. So Luffy just being like this massive tidal wave isn't going to stop us. I'm like, I'm sure it won't. But honestly, Luffy, you can't just, heck yeah, you're way out of getting drowned by a tidal wave. <laughs> um. Anyway. All right. So I'm going to wrap up, but uh, yeah, these three episodes were really fun. And I am, I'm just real, real curious how they're getting Robin out of this I always like a train chase kind of thing or like a train robbery and you know if they catch up they're gonna have to move from their own train to that train and that's gonna be very dangerous so I'm looking forward to seeing the way all of this goes down because the train thing is a totally different beast from ships and I think that'll be pretty fun Um, All right. I'm going to wrap. Thank you guys again so much for hanging out with me. And thank you to the One Piece crew for commissioning this. And until next time, toodaloo motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast.